What is shaking, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. Uh, on this episode, I was joined by Andy Johnson from The Fried Egg. Uh, I reached out to Andy uh, a couple of weeks ago after I read a really great article that he had written uh, regarding the flaws in the Golf Digest uh, ranking system. About a month ago, Golf Digest came out with their top 100 golf courses in the United States, and uh, Andy uh, took an exception to some of the criteria um, that Golf Digest uses to evaluate their golf courses, uh, citing that he believes it's more about rating the experience than the golf course, and uh, both he and I uh, would love to see some sort of a ranking system that more accurately reflects the merits of the golf course itself uh, rather than the whole experience um, of a golf course. Not to say that that's not valuable, but uh, it was certainly an interesting conversation uh, nevertheless, and uh, I know I came out of the conversation feeling a lot more knowledgeable, and uh, I'm sure that if you guys make it through the hour or so that me and Andy spent talking, um, you guys will feel the same way. Um, this podcast was recorded from my hotel room in Las Vegas, uh, which was absent of my normal microphone, so I kind of scrambled and had to go buy a, um, a shit mic <laughs> at Best Buy at the last minute before uh, me and Andy connected. So I do apologize for um, the not perfect sound quality that uh, you guys are normally accustomed to. Um, but nevertheless, I think it was still a great conversation. Um, so without any further delay, uh, let's let's get to it. Andy Johnson from The Fried Egg here on the Golf Guide Podcast. Uh, totally, man. Honestly, I've really been enjoying uh, the podcast lately. The, the David McClay Kid podcast, the Michael Clayton podcast, was awesome. I love, uh, I love the new intro. It's a nice, it's a nice little uh, saucy entrance to get into the podcast. So I've, I've really been enjoying the work you've been doing, man. It's, it's, it's awesome. Thanks, dude. I, you know, I, I started this thing just doing stuff that I thought is interesting. So yeah, well, I, get into that. I mean, I guess you know we might as well kind of get going here. Um, so a Andy Johnson from the Friday. Um, so Andy, in case any of the people who listen to this podcast are not, um, familiar with you or the fried egg, do, do you mind just sharing with people kind of what the fried egg is all about and what you kind you know, what your goal is with, with the site and the podcast and everything else you guys put out? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, thanks for having me on Kyle. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, no, it's, it's an honor. And, uh, the fried egg, uh, so I started about a year and, uh, two months ago. And I started as a busy professional working in tech and uh, just saw there was nothing out there uh, that, you know, I, I saw my time going, getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, if I had five minutes, I could read one article, but there was nothing out there that really gave me everything I wanted in five minutes. Mm -hmm. So I came up with this idea to do a newsletter uh, based around, you know, that that need for the busy professional to to have something that they can read quickly that tells them everything they need to know. Um, so my newsletter is kind of the, uh, the engine that drives everything. And, uh, it's, uh, it sends out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, gives you a quick rundown of everything happening in pro golf, the golf industry. And, uh, something I'm really interested in that I've started to throw in there is a lot of stuff on golf courses and architecture. Totally. Uh, so on my newsletter is, you know, quick, easy to read, has links out to all the stories um, from around the web that uh, are about, you know, kind of long form content if you want to dive in there. And then on my website, you'll find uh, some PGA Tour stuff, 
and uh, a lot of golf courses and golf course architecture stuff uh, in the long form. So then I started up the podcast just to you know talk golf with interesting people. You know, it's uh, it, it's amazing that just talking about something that people are passionate about, which I mean, I'm sure you've probably noticed it now. You know, starting the fried egg and doing the podcast is how. Did you know there was a market out there and there was a huge group of people, I mean, myself included, who just love reading about golf courses? And, you know, obviously everything else in golf is great, but, I mean, for me personally, I'm not sure I love learning about anything in golf more so than the golf course itself because to me it's like living, breathing, um, like usable art almost to to that point. And is, is that something that kind of drove your passion for, like, covering the architecture aspect of the industry yeah man i think you know you look at anything and you look at stuff that's just like grossly undercovered and nobody does really a good job i think the other thing is that nobody takes the time to really understand and 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 like you said architecture is an art it's a it's beautiful i mean if you gave 30 different architects the same property you'd get 30 you know distinctly different golf courses from it um, and I think with, with architecture, one of the, the things is there's, there's a lot of resources out there, whether it's books or there's like golf club Atlas is great, but, um, you know, for somebody that's, that's trying to get into it, none of them are very, very approachable. Um, so I'm trying to, trying to make something that's, you know, easy for the common fan and, you know, everybody's a student of, you know, architecture for life, um. You know, I, I think like, you know, if you talk to Bill Coor or Ben Crenshaw or Tom Doak, you know, they're still learning stuff every day about golf course architecture. Um, so, you know, it's it's not like I'm an expert by any means. I, you know, I'm just trying to help educate as I learn. Um, yeah, totally, man. I mean, honestly, one of, one of the things I've uh, enjoyed most uh, about the fried egg is, you know, kind of to, you know, read the site over the past several months is that. Uh, it's kind of the, the breakdown you give of all the different hole templates and how there's these kind of recurring trends in terms of templates of golf holes that, you know, people would never really know it if they didn't pay too much attention. But a lot of these same, you know, holes you see hundreds, maybe even thousands of times, but each in their own slightly different iteration adjusted to the piece of property that they're on. And it's just, it's so interesting to learn about the history of each hole you know, where that hole originated from, how it's implemented into different places. And so that's, that's a series on the Friday that I know that I have uh, definitely enjoyed. And uh, I would definitely recommend to anybody else who's interested in golf course architecture as a great place to kind of start if you are interested in learning more about it. So it, when you say that uh, you tried to create a approachable way for people to get into it, I thought that was a perfect way to do it. So cheers to you, man. Hey, thanks. Yeah, those those are cool. I mean, it, I think in the end, like understanding the way holes are designed help you play better golf too. I mean, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of strategy with them, and you know, most golf golf holes. It's you know, this is an example. It's like most golf holes. It's good to miss, you know, short. Um, the Redan hole, which is like one of the most, you know, replicated and used template holes uh it's a par three design like the best place to miss there is long because then you're chipping back uphill right so it's like little things like that um that can really help you out understanding the way the green's going to move just because you see it and uh you know it's so you know that i think architecture is um 
I compare it to kind of uh, golf's craft uh, beer industry. Totally. <laughs> so I think like you look at where architecture is today, it's similar to where craft beer was, you know, 15 years ago where, um, you know, you go into a bar and you only see, you know, Miller Lite, Bud Light, Budweiser, Coors um, on the on the taps. And, you know, people were still creating this great craft beer, but what was lacking was the consumer knowledge and education. Mm-hmm. And right now we're on kind of the cusp of having this architecture revo- revolution and explosion where people make smarter buying decisions in golf, just like craft beer. The, the thing that, you know, we're just lacking is a little bit of, uh, you know, education materials and that can, you know, make it relatable to the average player. Man, that is a terrific comparison, especially because out here, you know, in uh, in Northern California, I mean, obviously I'm in Las Vegas right now, but, um, you know, Northern California, where we're based out of, the, the craft beer movement is something else, man. I mean, just in Sonoma County alone, where, uh, where the golf guide officers are out of, I mean, there's something like 25 craft breweries that have opened up in the last five years. And, you know, if anybody who's listening to this podcast knows, this actually may be the very first time I've ever recorded a podcast without a an IPA in hand. So, I'm, I'm hoping I can navigate my way through this, you know, somewhat comfortably, you know, a little bit out of my element here. But uh, so, <laughs> but as I, as I digress and, you know, put less of the focus on my alcoholism, um, get, get a little <laughs> bit back, uh, about yourself, Andy. So you started the Friday just a little bit over a year ago. Uh, it's a great resource for people who wanted to learn about, you know, amateur golf, professional golf, um, golf architecture. Um, and is it just you or how many other guys do you have kind of contributing to the Friday egg right now? So for the most part, it's me, um, just me. I, uh, you're a one man show. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got a buddy that, uh, that throws in a weekly fantasy column. Um, so that's, that's really helpful. Um, I've got a couple new contributors. One, one guy, uh, Robbie Vogel, he does a great job with, uh, he's starting to dive into golf courses. Um, his first posts are on uh, his experience out at Cabot. I did, um, I did read that. that. Yeah, which man doesn't that place look spectacular? <laughs> oh yeah, it's. Uh, I've got his latest ones on. So he's done one on Cabot Links and just like the overall vibe at Cabot, and mm-hmm. uh, just just sent me this one on Cabot Cliffs. So that should be up on the site later this week. Awesome. Um, just just kind of putting pictures together. But anyways, um, you know, I started it. One man band was and uh, kind of uh, it's morphed and you know it's grown quickly, uh, luckily. And uh, you know, for me, I, I played golf all through high school um, and could have played some college golf. I went to Illinois where you know I, I was told I could walk on um, and I uh, won the walk on tryout there, but didn't make the team. Um, you know, they have a really good team. Sure. And, uh, it's D one golf, man. That stuff is competitive. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, so then I, uh, I just kind of kept playing amateur stuff and, um, so I, you know, I still play amateur stuff now, mid am stuff. Uh, so I play in our like state ams and try and qualify for USGA events. And, uh, and really like, you know, something I saw is just, you know, I saw a void, um, and I started it and, uh, I'd been working in tech and I'd been working at a, uh, a tech media company. So, you know, my job was essentially, um, you know, to understand how people, 
you know, consume content. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, the, I saw, um, this change, uh, happening where, you know, more and more people are reading now than ever. Um, people are watching less TV and social media has driven this unbelievable kind of renaissance for reading and, uh, started this thing. And, uh, exciting stuff i'm probably gonna start to do a lot more video uh stuff i just got a drone um i saw so some that, of those videos you took from down in uh down in florida man that that, that thing looks like so much fun <laughs> yeah yeah Un- it was my first go around with video and unfortunately i i took off from a side slope so the cameras planted a little but <laughs> um hopefully we'll do a lot more of it here in the future and better production and just you know, I overall tell you know some good stories behind it. So that's uh, that's something I'm excited to do more of in the future. Um, I just have to get out of the cold winter in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago can be a, a, a little chilly, man. My uh, my in-laws, my my fiance's mom and her family are uh, based in like northern Indiana, down in like Valparaiso. So every time we fly into Chicago, for some reason I don't know why, we always end up flying there in January. And I get out and I'm just like, damn. What the hell is going on out here? Why, why does it feel like it's negative 5,000 degrees? But everybody, dude, the, the best part is the people there, I think part of the reason people in Chicago are so nice is because they have to deal with shitty weather. And, you know, it, 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 it's a testament to your guys' will. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, the weather, I, I've learned that I, I'm, I write a lot more in the winter. Yeah, as, as you should. Man. When, the, when, the, when the weather's good, you should be out playing golf. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there's a course. That, have you checked out Warren, the the Corin Crenshaw uh, Notre Dame's course? When you've been here in the summer? No, I have not. Because that, that's the thing. I I'm not sure I've ever been there in the summer. I, I kid you not. Me and my fiance have been dating for seven and a half years, and every trip we've ever taken to see her mom, I again I have no idea why, but it always ends up being in the winter time. Which, which is silly. I've been on the Notre Dame campus, but uh, no, I'm not familiar with the Warren Golf Course. Yeah, you got to get out there. I think it's like 35 bucks to play, Holy and uh, it's a early core Crenshaw course. They, I think they just got the Senior Am in a couple years, um, awesome. or the Senior Open. But you, you got to get that schedule fixed so you gotta come here in the summer, man. Yeah, no kidding, man. Well, I, I think now I got two things. I got, a, I got a notepad right here. Visit in the summer. Call Andy to go play Warren. All right. Yeah. Do anything else need to add it right now? <laughs> yeah. That's. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of good golf um, in the Midwest. I mean, you get into Michigan. There's there's a ton of uh, great golf in Michigan. Great public golf. Um, Chicago, not a great public golf city. Sure. Um, good private, but but not so great public. Yeah, spectacular private golf uh, city, but. Not so great public. That being said, um, there's some really cool places to play. Um, you know, there's a few that if you're a conditioning kind of person, you can go check out that are a little bit more pricey. But my favorite is there's this course called Ravislow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's down on the south side. It is a, used to be a country club. And it's an old Donald Ross course. Very little's changed. It, uh, it got a, re- a restoration before it went under as a private club um, and it's spectacular bunker restoration and a uh, little overgrown. And I think that's one of those courses that if it had the right ownership and the right amount of money poured into it, it'd be one of the fun, most fun uh, public courses to play in the country. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. That's the thing is that uh, 
you know, but before we get into the, the whole golf digest thing, it, I, I just think it's so interesting that the ratio of private to public golf as it pertains to just top flight facilities, uh, I would love to see more public golf kind of get up into the same, you know, level of play um, as a lot of the private courses. And I know for economic reasons, that's going to be a lot more challenging, but, you know, places like Pebble and, and you know, Bannon Dunes and now Streamsong and everything else is, it's proved that it's possible. So I, I hope that trend continues a little bit more and we start to see more elite golf available to the public. That, that that's, I don't know, that's, that's just a personal wish list. But um, while, while we're on the golf courses, actually, it's a perfect little prompt for me to ask you this question because we were talking about your love of golf course architecture. Now we're getting into golf courses a little bit. Um, this is a, a question that people have asked me. I've asked other folks, and I think I actually saw the same question posed in one of your Ask Architect series on the fried egg, and that is, was there a particular course or an experience you had on a golf course that kind of made the light bulb go off? We were like, wow, like, I love this stuff. Like, this, like, golf courses are fascinating. Do, do, do you recall one or maybe two experiences that were really kind of, you know, shed a light on this for you? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think I was lucky. I, I grew up uh, on the North Shore here in Chicago where there's like a plethora of great, uh, golf. And, um, I grew up working at a place called Knollwood where mm-hmm. I was bag room taught junior golf and caddied. And, uh, the junior golf teaching got me playing privileges. So I, I mean, I'd spend my summer at this, uh, it's a Charles Allison design. Awesome. It's one of, one of the best golf courses that nobody knows about. Um, you know, they don't, they don't care about rankings. They don't, they don't, they know how good it is and they don't care if anybody else knows. Um, (laughs) so I, I got to spend my summers like sun up to sundown there. And, uh, you know, it's a great golf course. And then my grandfather was a member at shore acres. Um, absolutely. So I'd get to play there, you know, three, four times a summer and, and you, you just grow up understand i think it just gives you an understanding of what really good golf is sure and um you know you kind of look at at golf courses in a different way when you understand you know how good certain places are but that being said like i I know a lot of my friends like a a good friend of mine uh who i play in a lot of tournaments with you know he uh he's recently got into golf course architecture and it happened after he played chicago golf club for the first time Uh uh-huh where you see something and you're like, wow, this is like, this is something that, you know, I haven't ever experienced before. Like it, you know, the, it, so I think that for a lot of people that that's the type of thing that happens. And, and that's when you get, you know, you start to develop this love for, for golf course architecture. Cause you start to see, you know, Hey, this is, you know, different. And, and it doesn't have to be just like, it's not private clubs. I think like great examples of places that you could see that are, are public, you know, I think the abandoned dunes play uh, courses. I haven't been there yet, but they We're gonna have to change that. Andy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's on the short list of the summer. Um, but then like, you've got places like Paso Tiempo, like, you know, Alistair McKenzie is probably, you know, arguably the, the greatest architect of all time. He's uh, designed uh, the best golf course on three continents out of the four <laughs> that he designed on. So it's, it, you know, 
you get the chance to go play the uh, play Passive Tiempo out by you. It's, it's you know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hilarious and awesome that you mentioned that because you know if if people were to ask me that same question, it was in fact the first time that I played Passa Tiempo. I think is I might have been seventeen or eighteen years old. Was the transformative experience for me where I really started to enjoy and wanted to learn more about course architecture. And the funny part about that is, you know, uh, growing up in high school, um, I was a caddy at a private club up in uh, Santa Rosa, which. Uh, you might be familiar with that. It's uh, Mayakama. It's a, it's a Jack Nicholas design from the late 90s. And, you know, it's been in and out of the top 100 or whatever it may be. And for some reason, like, as spectacular as that course was, it wasn't until I went down and actually played Pasa Tiempo where I was like, okay, I, I get it now. This 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 is art. This it, It's beautiful. And like you said, you could have however many different architects take the same piece of land. And the fact that this guy did this with this piece of property is just beyond spectacular. And I mean, again, we'll, we'll jump a little bit more into it when we uh, dive into your, uh, your article on kind of the, the systematic problem with the golf digest ranking system, but Pasa Tiempo, man, like I, that is just one of the most special places that I have ever been. I mean, again, anybody listening that hasn't or has had the pleasure of playing out there, that, that place is just the best <laughs> and yeah. available to the public. Exactly. I mean, I, my parents recently took a trip out to San Francisco for a wedding. They asked me where to play. I, I was like, pass the tempo. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, um, and then, I mean, you, there's, it, it's too bad. It, you know, you look at, like, I'm, I'm a really big fan of, like, the Golden Age architects. I think, I mean, I think that today we're back into this renaissance where, you know, the we have modern designs that are, you know, based off of the simple principles of, you know, that golden age architecture sure. took from, but like, you know, in, in the, from the, like the fifties through the, you know, early two thousands, I think what you saw was people trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get all of this technology machinery that you could use and, um, you know, they got all these new toys and tried to do too much. Um, when, uh, you know, really, like you look at what the the Mackenzies, the Tillinghast, the William Flynn, the C.B. McDonald, Seth Rayner, like they were rooted in like, hey, like, you know, it needs to be playable um, for everybody. But like, let's look at what holes have worked in Great Britain and Ireland and and try and use those and and use those principles that they use like most notably like the the old course like you talk you read about any of these architects and you know the old course was something that was you know such an influential aspect of their uh designs and you know that course is rooted in playability for everybody mm-hmm. um and strategy for the great players like making it about angles and you know you you look about you look at courses i i think one of the most important things to do is is to have width because with width everybody can play it and then you can also you know infuse strategy because for the great players it's more about hitting a specific side of a fairway to have the right angle in um you know and, and i think that's that's what got lost in the uh and what i usually call refer to as like the dark ages the you know <laughs> 50s through the early 2000s is you know people thought golf, you know, it's wrong. It's, you know, people wanted hard golf courses. They wanted, like, why would you design something that 
only the top one percent of the of golfers can play. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I mean, obviously, Andy, like you're you're, you're a better golfer than I am, but I. I don't like getting my ass kicked. I, I I like to have fun when I go out and play golf, and I, I would like to think that most of the golfing public kind of would side with me on that. No, <laughs> exactly. It's like why would you design something? I, I I talked to Zach Blair about it one time, and he you know he's like, why would you design something that's built for PGA Tour players like me, who probably are playing the golf course for free, right? <laughs> and but it's poor like economic you know, sense. Why, and I think that's the whole problem in, you know, what with golf is like when you when you value it and this goes into that, you know, the article I wrote about the ranking system. Um, but like when you value the wrong things, it inherently, you know, affects the game the game as a whole. It it um influences future course design and also influences, you know, what golfers think is is a good golf course like i don't think any golfer should think like they should never play like a great golf course and walk off the course and their first reaction be like when somebody asks how was it really really hard like that that's not that's not synonymous with good yeah it should be like really really fun like we play golf as a leisure activity right at least 99 percent of the people in the you know, country do. Right. Like why, why should their first reaction be? It's really, really hard when they go play a course that they spent $400 to play. Totally. And you know what, now, now that we're kind of onto it, we might as well just jump into it. So, um, I, I know that I reached out to you originally after I read your article titled systematic problem, where you kind of went and spent a lengthy amount of time, but it went really in depth. It was really awesome about kind of the flawed ranking system that golf digest um, uses to produce its top 100 or top 200 rankings. And it's something that I had thought about for a long time, but you were able to so eloquently and perfectly actually put it into words where I was like, yes, that, I, I, I don't know if I shared all the same, you know, ideas and, or I, I not, hadn't thought of a lot of this stuff, but I kind of had the same feeling about a lot of the stuff when I read Golf Digest rankings. Cause I mean, I'm like every other golfer. I, I hate to admit it, but I love the rankings. I love being able to stack up and see where courses rank next to each other. It helps you plan golf trips. But like you said, if the rankings are flawed, then, or, or you know, if they're using criteria that doesn't necessarily match 99% of the golfers, you know, wants for, you know, their experience on a golf course, then maybe it's time to reevaluate things. So uh, I kind of just wanted to get your opinion on, you know, what inspired you to write the piece um, and what was kind of your, your, your thinking and the methodology that went into, into producing it and writing it? Well, yeah, it's been something I've thought about for a long time. And I think like, you know, you look at the rankings and you see courses and I mean the ranking, like the, I think like the whole, I, everybody loves rankings everybody, everybody loves rankings. Their, and anybody like, who says they doesn't is lying to your face. Exactly. But the whole, my whole perception on like ranking, it's really, really stupid it's totally like, dumb but it, it's like it's it, it, you know I, I'm, I'm not meaning to go off uh, off topic here but it's like yeah. america's political landscape today and that nobody really likes it but nobody can stop paying attention to it and the, the rankings exactly. is kind of the same way it's like you don't love it but i can't not pay attention to it exactly so like you know the 
it's like the idea of comparing a Marion, which is built on, I think, like 120 acres of yeah, land. Yeah, it's like one of the smallest plots of land, of, of, certainly and, of any of the top 100 courses, right? And and you compare it to Sand Hills, which had miles of land. Right. Like it's, it's kind of, it's like a, it, they're both just, like, in my mind, the best way to go about it is like tiering it. Like, these are courses you drop anything to go play. Sure. You know, it's like we don't need to have a number associated with it, but people love rankings. So, you know, when I, I, I looked at the rankings and I just saw, you know, you just look at it and you're like, how is this place here? Like, this is not a good golf course. And <laughs> so, like, I, I decided to look at the criteria more and, like, you look at the criteria and, like, you start to understand why places are ranked certain places like and what you see is that the majority of the ranking criteria isn't actually about the golf course um and i mean to me like i think michael clayton the the former european tour player and now uh architect said it best yeah he said so many rate the experience and that's not the architecture or the golf course it's fine if the list is about top 100 experiences, but it's not. It's called the t- greatest golf courses. Completely so, agree. Yeah, but I remember reading that. I was like, that is so spot on. Oh. So it's like you look at you look at things like they they have on here is like okay, so it's got conditioning, and you look at how they define conditioning. It's how firm, fast, and rolling were the fairways. How firm yet receptive were the greens. And how true were the rolls a rolls of putt on the day you played the golf course? Like, what happens if it rains for three days before? Uh, well, I think that golf course unfortunately probably gets shit on by whatever person's ranking it that day. I mean, that, it, it, yeah, it, yeah, it's flawed. Like the golf course has zero control of that. Like it, I mean, so that that one right there, boom. Okay, mm-hmm. totally aesthetics. Okay, but, I mean aesthetics. Like what? What exactly you know, does that mean? Exactly. Ambiance. Like, it's, it's a lot of I subjectivity. Think, exactly. So you, you look at it and you find, and then here, you know, resistance to scoring is one that, like, I think it's really important if you're looking at, you know, a championship golf course and you're trying to say, but, like, this list is not for, you know, the USGA to select where the next US Open at, right. is at. It's for golfers to understand where the greatest golf courses are. So resistance to scoring, like I can play any tee at almost any golf course and enjoy myself. But like my dad's a 15 handicap. Can he do that? No, he'll hate it, you know? So it's like, like, why isn't this system around? Like, why isn't there a playability? Why isn't there like just a fun thing? Like, like, Golf should be fun. And, you know, if you want to talk about growing the game, like, why are we promoting courses that will just kick the crap out of a <laughs> golfer for five hours? Yeah, man, I, I could not agree more. I think of all the, the seven different uh, criteria that Golf Digest uses, I think the resistance to scoring one is the one that I probably have the biggest bone to pick with. Just because, you know, just piggybacking on what you just said, that it emphasizes difficulty and not playability. And, um, you know, the resistance to par um, idea, I think, is f- flawed at best. And actually, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about it before, but uh, uh, when I listened to the podcast that you did with David McClay Kidd, 
which I, if anybody out there hasn't listened to it yet, I strongly encourage you guys to go because it was some fascinating insight. And I love the idea of resistance to birdie or defending birdie, but allowing pars to be gettable. And I think that if you are going to grade a course on its quote unquote difficulty, that seems like a more appropriate way to approach it than the whole defense against par. Is, is that, do you think, am, am I going yeah. in the right direction, you think? I, I agree. I, I think, like, you know, when I look at a golf course, it's like, you know, what is par anyways? It's just a made-up number. It's just a number. That, yeah. It's like, you know, like, what does it matter if you shoot 66 or 86? Like, you know, why why does par even, in question, I know everybody wants to measure themselves, but, like, you know, it, why do you know you could turn a 500 yard hole into a par four or a par five? It could be know? either one. Exactly, and it's like, does it really matter? Like, in actuality, the par is like four and a half. Very true. You know? So you you have to pick which side you go. But you know, I think the I love golf courses where if you're hitting great shots, you're going to have birdie looks all day. Mm-hmm. But if you aren't hitting great shots it will you know it'll beat you up like from from my perspective like there's nothing that bothers me more than when you hit great shots and you aren't rewarded totally no that, that's uh, I, I think every golfer could agree with that one i mean it's you know good shots you know merit good results um mm-hmm. and there's so many aspects in life where that's not the case the golf should be our reprieve where you know you do something good and you get rewarded for it but if you hit, you know, an average shot or a below average shot, you should be, you know, you should be have to hit a good shot to get back into position to make par. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you hit great shots, you should be able to make birdie. And I think some some golf golf uh, architects go a little too far with their greens. Like I think if you hit it within ten feet of a hole, you know, depending on the hole. I mean, if it's a short par four, I understand that kind of stuff. But like. You know, if you're if you got a 420 plus yard hole and I hit it within 10 feet, like I should have a very makeable putt, Absolutely. and you know I should have a nice little area to land it, and you know, it's uh, but you know there there's all you know really the rankings, and then you start to look at the rankings, and and you start to see that they're really a byproduct of the system, and you know everybody gets complains about this being this, and it's like listen, like you know it's not it's not golf digest fault it, it is golf digest fault but it it isn't like it, their system's flawed so you're going to get bad results yeah no i i could not agree man so or could not agree more um so i guess in, in your opinion then so as someone who's kind of tackled this and went through the, you know the systematic problems that golf digest has with their ranking systems um and you mentioned it before just in our conversation a couple minutes ago and i think the most problematic part out of all of it is that you know Speaking from experience, when I was a caddy at Mayakama, so much of that course's identity was tied to its ranking on Golf Digest. I mean, it's it's how they distinguish themselves as a golf course. I mean, I think when I was there, they were probably in the 70s somewhere. I know they dropped out of the top 100 last year, and I think they, I think they snuck back in at 99 or something this year. And just just me talking about it reaffirms that yeah, that's that's how they identify themselves. And it's a shame because, as you said. The rankings influence future golf design, and that if you're rewarding courses that are too difficult, um, then that's what's going to end up being created. And I would go in the other direction that, you know, 
Golf Digest has a resistance to scoring as one of its criteria. I would like to see some sort of a system that actually penalizes or courses would lose points for it being overly difficult and not friendly to the 99% of golfers that are out there just trying to enjoy themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think you could have a golf course that's really difficult that is also playable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think David Kidd on that podcast talks about how he thinks Oakmont's one of the most playable courses in the world. Which I think is awesome. <laughs> but it's also one of the most difficult golf courses. Sure. And I think, you know, that, you know, no force carries, like things like that, you know, always giving a golfer, a, an average golfer, a path that's unobstructed by hazards like you know that is so a course that i i look at all the time and you know it's a great experience and it's something that everybody should you know want to go see but i you know i'm never dying to go back to see it is is whistling straights like i look at that golf course as a perfect example it's like you know it is jaw-droppingly beautiful Mm mm-hmm and it's a modern marvel of, you know, construction. Like they move millions of pounds of dirt to to construct that golf course. But like when I look at that and it's like everybody's like, look at all those bunkers. Like they have really wide fairways. So for a great player, it's pretty easy to drive the ball well out there. Mm-hmm. The only people that get stuck in those bunkers are like the average to below average players. Right. You know, and then they're in these bunkers that are 80 yards off the fairway. And like they have to hit a great shot just to get back into the fairway. And you look at what the tour pros are doing to it. I mean, last time they had the PGA there, Jason Day shot 20 under. It's not a difficult golf course for a great player. Like that's great architecture is when it's really playable for the average player. And it's extremely challenging and, and, you know, not extremely challenging, but like very strategic and challenging for the great player where, you know, I'm having to think about, you know, I'm not a great player like these PGA Tour players, but like I'm having to think and really have to hit shots to score. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I honestly, it makes me remember a quote, I think, that I read from one of your Ask Architect series. Um, it might have been Ian Andrew, I think, might have been the, the gentleman who had the quote, but it was something along the lines of, like, great courses are not about punishing bad shots, but about, like, encouraging people to take their own path and use intelligent play. And I, when I read that, I was like, dude, bing, that's, that, that's it. And it, it just speaks to you know, how, how width is very important. And, you know, like the concept of putting, like you said, at Whistling Straits, like penalizing bunkers out in the rough somewhere. Yeah, that's. I mean, you're re- you're really only hurting the people that are already hurting. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, I mean, in in your opinion, I mean, I guess you know, if you're trying to evaluate, you know, courses that are good or or bad, and how it, you know, it compares to Golf Digest, we, I, I think we know we we've established what makes a good golf course and it makes a great golf course, and that's playability. Um, in terms of what makes a bad golf course, I mean, when, it, what are some of the things that you identify that where you would say? I don't think that's a very good golf course. So I think like, I, I always like to think backwards. So I'm hitting, I like, I, you know, you can play anybody that's better than a scratch can play, you know, a scratch, like, you know, really you like play a, pretty much a sub, sub five handicap can really enjoy their round at just about any golf course. Mm-hmm. I always think, like to think about my father who's like a 15 and I think like, would he enjoy playing here? 
And I think that, like, that's a key part of it. I think, like, so it's like, you know, I think you've got to have interesting holes. Like, you can't have throwaway holes. You can't have holes that are overly penal. And, you know, you, you can't, like, every hole can't be, you know, a ball buster. Because, right. like, you have to have sh- holes, like, I really like half par holes. I think they're fun. Totally. They're interesting. They're they're really strategic. I love a good short par four where you're you, able me, you, me and Tom Doak. We love the short par fours. Um par three variety. I think that a, the set of par threes should look at all of you know the different types of shots. Mm-hmm. You know, it should look at you know, you look at like what McDonald and Rayner did, they had a short hole at every one of their golf courses, yes, you know, because like just, you know, you're examining a player's game. So, you know, you should see how good they are with wedges and, and short irons. You should see how good they are with their mid irons. You should see how good they are with their long irons and you should see how good they are, you know, obviously driving the ball. Mm-hmm. So like par three variety, um, I think naturalness where like, obviously aesthetics is important. Like you know, that a trick, a tough thing to do is to blend a golf course and with a natural landscape yes. and just, you know, subtle ways to challenge players. Um, like William Flynn guy that art designed Shinnecock, um, lots of great Northeast courses. Um, he did cherry Hills and, in, in uh, Colorado really underrated architect. Um, he, uh, one of the tricks he used to do is like, you know, he'd, he'd a lot of times, call for a right to left shot into a green, but the fairway would be sloping left to right. Mm, Yes. So like just little tricks that are, that create, you know, unique challenges that, you know, those are challenges that are going to really give great player fits, great players fits. The other thing is like having variety, you know, you never want to play the same golf hole or seemingly the same golf hole over and over again. Right. Um, so those, I mean, those are some things I, you know, and I think obviously like shot values in terms of like, you know, am I hitting different clubs? Like, you know, not having throwaway shots where, you know, something that core and Crenshaw do really well, it's nothing like they haven't reinvented the wheel. Um, you know, the road hole is a good example of it is like, you know, having a hole where the direct line, the line you want to take that's the ideal line Mm -hmm. has a hazard on like where if I want to hug that right side of a dog leg, there's a bunker there, but then there's plenty of width to the left, but you're, you're dealing with, you're going to have a tough angle next shot. So by taking the safer route, you know, you're, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage on the next shot, Mm -hmm. you know, in these little strategic ways of, you know, creating a golf course that's super playable, but, you know, to to score really well, you have to take on risk and challenges. Absolutely. I mean, for me, like the, f- the most prime examples that come to my mind are the tee shot on a cape hole or the the second shot on one of Tillinghouse's like great hazard holes, something like that, where the r- more risk you're willing to take on, if executed, the greater your reward. However, the options are certainly there to play it safer, and you're just going to have, you know, you're basically choosing where you want the challenge and on what shot and that's that for me that's the mark of a great golf hole is when you have options and a lot of thinking has to go into each little thing so no i i completely 
completely agree with you on that one. So, so Andy, this is where I'm going to start getting real serious with you, my man. Let's say Golf Digest knocks on your front door. They say, Andy, we've decided to make a change. You, and to a far, far lesser extent, your friend Kyle, we want you to redo our ranking system. We want you to come up with a system that we think more accurately identifies the best golf courses. We're, we're, we're good on the experience, but we want a system that really identifies the best golf courses. You say, all right, you sit down at your desk. Where do you start? Um, so I'd start first by overhauling the, the Raider system mm-hmm. and then also the rating system. So like their panelist system, like the reality is, is that, you know, go- access to these great golf courses is really hard for even them to get. You know, they right. very few of these top 100 private facilities uh, allow much Raider play. Mm-hmm. So, you know, becoming a Raider and a panelist nowadays is much more about where you can play rather than your architectural knowledge. Right. Um, you know, they statistical relevance for anybody that's taken statistics like, you know, they 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 require 40 reviews of yeah, 45, 40, 45 reviews, I think, over like the, what, the last three years or something. I think it's five, five, five or years. Seven. OK. Uh, so now they're they're doubling the Raider uh, staff, and they're saying seventy. Like there, there's no statistical relevance to that. You know, like it, it does nothing. All, all it is is a cash grab, really, um, for them. So, like the number one thing I do is like first off, like why don't you have a smaller Raider staff that is more educated? And like, so what if there's five ratings on a golf course like if it's the five right ratings from the right people you're going to produce an accurate you know yeah yeah totally um the second thing i do is like i think that i think that golf week has golf week's got a good system in place um you know with where everything's based around the golf course Mm -hmm. um stuff i'd add into golf week so just Golf Weeks, I have it up here. Yeah, sure. Route, routing, integrity of design, overall land plan, greens and surrounds, variety of memorability of par threes, fours, fives, um, tree and landscape management, conditioning and ecology. So, like, conditioning for them, like, you know, the is different. It's like overall quality of maintenance, discounting for short-term ter- issues. Mm-hmm. You know, like that alone is so i have such a problem with the conditioning part of that yeah walk in the park test i think walking is a very big part of golf and you know i uh, could not agree I'd, more i'd add in there like playability fun um you know those are some things i'd add in but you know make it about the golf course yeah, I, I could not agree more, man. The, the walkability one is, is really big for me. I know the last issue of Golf Guide magazine we published was our first walkers issue where we kind of tried to focus on <clears throat> the people, the places, and the things that uh, encourage and promote walking. And uh, that that's part of the trend that I've noticed in that, you know, this kind of new architectural revolution that's been happening is that there's been much more of an emphasis put back onto the walking golfer, which is such a such a refreshing uh, thing to see. So I, I would agree that that probably should play, uh, at least some, you know, a small part in how you evaluate a golf course. Um, yeah, it almost should just be like, you could get bonus points for it. Right. You know, it's 
I think walking like is just overall a better experience. Obviously, if you have physical limitations, like completely understand riding. Sure. But like, you know, when you're walking, you get to you know see everything and uh, you feel the golf course. I mean, you, you got the golf yeah. course underneath your feet all the time. Not only that, it lets you keep your momentum a little bit. Your body stays a little bit more loose because you're constantly, you know, physically active. I I, I just I. I like you said, unless you are unable to walk, I just don't see any downside in, you know, into walking or really the advantage of taking a cart outside and be able to keep a cooler with your 12 pack with you. And I know for a lot of golfers, that's the number one priority when they're out on the golf course. But for the rest of us, you know, schmucks, you know, it's it's not so much about how many Coors Banquet beers you can drink. It's about the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh I like to go out every once in a while with buddies and have a good time on the golf course. But hey, you know, who does for the most for the most part, I'm just kind of playing because it's something I love to do. You know, it's, so it's uh, you know that's why I, I overall I just think you know less is more. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like you don't need you know essentially. I mean, like the, that's the other aspect of this that you know I think Shackelford touched on it a little bit, but like. You know they're doubling their Raider thing, and in the last couple of years they've started to charge Raiders. It used to be free, but so like you know it's a thousand dollar initiation, and, uh, and it's for Golf Digest a, or for Golf Week for Golf Digest. Yeah, thousand dollar initiation, two hundred fifty dollars a year. So they're they're going to add twelve hundred Raiders, thousand dollars a pop. Like that's that's one point two million dollars. What a like, little money maker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you, you look at the recurring revenue, like. It at least pays for a couple people's salary on that staff. Sure. But, you know, that's, um, I I think, like, overall, it's, you know, it just needs an overhaul where, you know, less is more. Yeah. You know, with, with terms of the Raiders, and then the system needs to be more about the golf course and less about, you know, these subjective factors. Yeah, I agree, man. And, and I, uh, I completely agree with the the golf week criteria being uh, substantially better and more reflective of the golf course itself than the golf digest one. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, when I was reading, you know, Dream Golf, the the making of Bandon Dunes, uh, for the first time, I sadly have read it uh, several times. But uh, mm-hmm. when when they did the the revised copy where they added in the making of Old McDonald, uh, the fourth course of the resort up there. Um, Brad Bradley Klein, who's the, kind of the editor and in charge of the ranking systems at Golf Week, he actually Mike Kaiser had him out to the property throughout the, you know the process of building that golf course, and he had a lot of input. And Mike Kaiser, of all people, I think respected his opinion on what makes a great golf course um, so much so that he invited him in to help them basically construct and design this golf course. And um, I, I think it really speaks to Golf Week. Um, it, Personally, there might be my favorite major golf publication just because they do seem to focus on the nuts and bolts rather than the fluff. Um, not to say Golf Digest isn't great. Um, they do a really, really good job, I, I think. But I, for my personal taste, there's sometimes a little too much fluff. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing um, represented in the rankings as well. But that being said, one thing I thought was really interesting about that is when he was designing the very first course before he hired David McClay Kidd, I don't know if you know this, but he tried to hire Ron Witten, the, the the lead architecture guy for Golf Digest, who eventually went on to build 
uh, Aaron Hills, where the U.S. Open is going to be this week, he tried to hire Ron Witten to design that first course at Bannon Dunes before he was turned down and he went to, to David Kidd, which I, I thought was pretty interesting as well. And it makes me wonder how much different Bandon would have turned out if, in fact, Ron Witten had accepted that uh, job offer to design that first golf course. Yeah, you know, I think Witten, he's, anybody that spends, studies architecture and, and spends as much, much time playing great golf course, like, they're going to have a very, like, I'm not saying my my personal opinions are at all right. Hey, and that's a, they're, they're opinions. They're, they're not right. Yeah. They're not wrong. They're just your personal, you know, take on whatever the subject is. So yeah, absolutely, man. And like, I think he, he's a, you know, when it comes to golf courses, like there's probably, you know, a handful of people in the world that know more than them. And, um, I know like with golf digest, like they have playability on their, their ranking stuff. They just don't publish it. For whatever reason, hmm. so I, you know, like personally, I have a feeling that Witten wants to do playability, but there's, you know, some internal battles with that. The powers that be have uh, made it so that might be a little more challenging than we'd uh, than we'd like to believe. Yeah, like for example, like if you look at a, a Raider submission form, like playability is something that's on there, so they just don't use it in their in their final tally. I don't know if it. They might need to time this cycle out, so it's something that's changing with it. But at the end of the day, like you know, like I think, I mean, Ron Witten, he's a brilliant guy. He's you know, he is an architecture guru. Ron Witten is a brilliant man. I mean, I I love reading Ron Witten stuff. I mean, none of this is to say that he's not good at what he does. He's exceptional at what he does. He probably has forgotten more than I know. I'll ever know. Fact, you know, it's something I've I've realized for me. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, the, the reality, you know, but like, I think with anything you, it's like why consultants in the world exist. Like you, when you're so close to something, you fail to see like very obvious things. Um, but I think like, if you look at what Witten did with Aaron Hills, I mean, he, yeah, the other thing people need to realize is like, you have to look at the, the project and what, the architect was tasked with, right. you know, I think Pete Dye is a perfect example. He gets a really bad rap from some people because of how challenging, you know, PGA West is TPC Sawgrass, like these, these courses that he built with a championship golf intention. Right. And they overlook some of his other designs that are really fun, strategic golf courses. Like there's one in Columbus called the golf club mm-hmm. that, you know, there's another one in Ohio. The name's forgetting, uh, skipping me. Um, I mean, if, if you wanted me to jump on there, brother, I played a Pete Dye course yesterday. That was incredibly playable. I mean, there he has a, a golf complex out here in Las Vegas called Paiute, um, which I'm sure people have heard about. It's 54 holes of Pete Dye golf, three 18-hole golf courses, and I played uh, the Wolf course yesterday, which is quote unquote the most difficult. Uh, of the three, I thought it was exceptionally playable. I mean, and granted, part of that had to do with me playing the tees that were most appropriate for me. So I, I didn't, you know, I didn't play the tournament tees at 7,600 yards. But, you know, it it was it was fair. It was beautiful. And, uh, yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree that until you start to get to play some of those non-PGA Tour Pete Dye courses, most people tend to think that he's basically just, you know, like a Reese Jones, uh, you know, guy who's just tricking out golf courses. So, but... Pete Dye's phenomenal. 
Yeah, it's um I mean, it's he is the guy that started the whole shift back to this. He's the one that brought strategy back into the game of golf. And uh so oftentimes you you hear people throw him under the bus, but like being a leader of change like you know, like he wouldn't have won any projects if he had went in there and done, I, I'm guessing, done everything he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you don't, you wouldn't have won projects because he was changing the perception of, of developers and golfers around the world. Totally. Totally. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Danny. No, no. Go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that. I know that we're, uh, we're reaching, reaching time here, getting close to an hour. And honestly, man, I, I feel like I could talk to you, you know, about this kind of stuff for hours and hours and, and days on end, but you know, seeing that we have to eat and we got lives to live, you know, we'll probably have to table that for, for another time. So before I let you go, I I want to ask you the same question I've heard you ask others that I always like to ask people myself. Um, five courses to play for the rest of your life that you've played at least, or I should say, your favorite five that you've played that you could just never ever get tired of. Um, so I've got a lot to go. I was <laughs> I was I was working. Uh, a lot of hours in the tech industry. So I, I, you know, I, I'm now like on the, you know, cusp of, you know, getting to play a lot of the great golf courses, um, you know, hopefully in the next couple of years, but my favorite golf course, uh, is Shore Acres. Shore I don't, Acres. That's, yeah, that, that's the move, man. That, that, that'd be a beautiful choice. Um, I'd, I, I guess it doesn't I guess necessarily have to be it. five. But, you know, it's because like the one or two that you can just never get tired of. I can give you five. Okay. Um, You know, so Shore Acres, just excellent walk in the park vibe. Like, just great place to play golf. Um, I played, uh, a place that I played this summer that I loved was uh, Philadelphia Cricket Club. Ooh. The Wissahickon course. Mm -hmm. Um, Riviera, spectacular golf course. Mm -hmm. That'd be another one. Um, and then, um, I'll give you a couple like off the beaten path ones Please. that I really love. I loved, uh, manufacturers in uh, yes. Philly. Yes. Right uh, about that. Uh, the, the pictures just look spectacular. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a super cool place. It's, it's like so playable. It's so fun. Um, really, you know, there's one of the most fun golf courses I've ever played. Um, you know, I haven't had enough time. I played Stream Song last week, and I haven't had enough time to digest it really. But I thought Stream Song Red was, you know, one of the best courses I've played. Um, Sand Valley's really good too. Um, Lasonia Links is just like an unbelievable place to play um, if you like golden art, golden age architecture. Mm-hmm. Great value. It's close to Sand Valley for anybody that is looking to make that trip. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's, it's a good amount. I really like in Chicago. I like Skokie's another one. I love old Elms, really cool place to go. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to play Chicago golf this summer. Awesome. So that I'm sure that'll be up there high. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to, I'm, you know, kind of starting a, you know, journey where I am going to hopefully get the opportunity to play a lot of the great ones but you know i i think the key for everybody is like don't make it about a list make it about like i want to go see this place because of the architecture you know don't not not about where it's ranked um something i'm excited about for the summer is i'm i'm talking with uh 
a guy about doing a William Langford tour where we go play like five courses in three days designed by uh, Langford Moreau, two of like the kind of under the radar architects that were great, great architects. Mm -hmm. Man, that, would, yeah, uh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you get to, you play like, if you play a few times at golf court, you start to see tendencies from these architects. You start to understand them more. You know, one, I had a revelation this summer with William Flynn. Uh, I got to play three of his courses and, uh, just really genius architect totally. that you know not a lot of people give the respect he deserves. So that's kind of the, what do you got? I I'm curious. I have got a question for you. Sure, go for it. Man. Um, I read about the Robert Hunter design. Yeah, there. Mural Tell me Vista. About that. Yeah. Um, man, it is. It's so cool, and it, it it was so interesting when I was talking to uh, one of the members out there. So. Uh, I went out to go play with our membership director, and she brought along the, the head of their greens committee, and he was kind of explaining to me that for some reason, nobody had any idea that Robert Hunter was actually the architect of that golf course up until maybe about 10 years ago. Uh, for the longest time, they thought Willie Watson, uh, the gentleman who designed the courses yeah. at the Olympic Club, and in fact, when you picked up a scorecard at Mira Vista, um, it, it actually accredited Willie Watson with designing the golf course, but after they kind of dug up all this stuff about the course's history and when it was originally built as uh, Berkeley Country Club, um, they found out that it was actually Robert Hunter, um, kind of right on the tails of him kind of overlooking and overseeing the projects at Valley Club, Cypress, Northwoods up in Sonoma County. And I, I don't know how, because I, I tried to do a little bit more research, but it looks like that's the only golf course that, where he was basically the lead um, architect on, and it I'll tell you what, man. It is an unbelievably fun golf course. It it has a lot of the characteristics um, that you see in a lot of other McKenzie designs. It's wide. Um, there's a multitude of short par fours. It's playable. It's not long. I mean, I think from the tips, it's probably 65 to 6,600 yards. The biggest and most stark difference between his course and you know McKenzie's obviously the style of bunkering. Um, and I, I think part of that may have to do with, you know, when they did restore the course back in 2011, um, they, you know, changed the, the style of bunkering and they don't have that many pictures of the original golf course to go off of. So, um, what it actually looked like originally is still kind of unknown, but I'll tell you what, man, for anybody who's a fan of golf course architecture, like if you ever end up coming out to the Bay area, I would love to take you up there and see what you think of that place and in fact what we probably should do is if you are ever to come out to the bay area uh we will have to go play that golf course and maybe in the same way you were thinking of doing a little architecture tour we may have to do the same thing for mr mckenzie because we are are so spoiled in the san francisco bay area that we have a multitude of mckenzie courses right here at our at our front door i mean you know most of them are private but um you know it, all you got to do is know one person which I'm fortunate enough to know a couple people, um, and it gets back. There's, you know, Northwoods. Do you know much about Northwood? I've seen. I've, you know, I, I, go, I get down dark, dark rabbit holes. Yeah. And, uh, one, of, one of the ones I got down a couple of weeks ago was Northwoods. I saw on Instagram somebody posted a picture of it, and then I started diving in. Um, looks really cool. I mean, 
if they did some tree removal and bunker restoration, it looks like it could be just an incredible oh, golf man. course. I, I, to the best of my knowledge, it's the only nine-hole McKenzie golf course uh, in operation today. And the story behind it's really cool because it's right next to this kind of uh, Illuminati campground called the Bohemian Grove where um, the world's most powerful people and have gone to recreate during the summertime. And right as he was designing Cypress, they called this, you know, McKenzie up and like, hey, I think we want a golf course here at our at our summer camp. Can you come design one for us? And that's that, that's the story of how that golf course got built. And it was, I want to say, opened the year directly after Cypress opened. So it's it's when he was doing some of his best work. And it is just so much fun. I mean, we did finally did our first ranking. I mean, as we talk about, you know, talking shit about rankings, but... We tried to at least identify the tiers of the public golf courses up in up in Sonoma County, which is about an hour north of San Francisco, and it's nine holes, and it beat out every 18-hole public golf course in the county because it's just so much fun. It's so playable, and because of all the trees, um, and because it's narrow, um, it, it's still challenging for good players, which, you know, it, it fits that perfect balance. Um, so, yeah, man, I mean, they've got that, Green Hills down next to San Francisco Airport, Claremont Country Club in the East Bay. Meadow Club up in Marin. I mean, Mackenzie's footprint is all over this place, which uh, I hope you uh, get a chance to come and experience it uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, dude, I uh, it's high on my list, man. I I really want to see Meadow Club. I want to see. Uh, yeah, I Mike, see, Mike DeVry's know. restoration was top notch. They did an unbelievable job out there. Meadow Club is is a special special place. Yeah, man. I there's so many good ones out there. I it's uh that's my problem is I I have so many places I want to go and so <laughs> little time. It's um you know you gotta keep writing and uh, that's the uh, that's the trick I'm getting. I'm getting married this summer and oh, very, very like, good, man. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, it's exciting, but we've got like nine other weddings, so it's it's just it's a lot. But we're uh, we're I'm at gonna, that age, I'm man. Yeah, it is that age, but <laughs> we'll uh, we'll get through it. And uh, the good news is most of the golf courses aren't going anywhere. That's... There's a few that are that you got to hustle to get to because they might be gone. But you know the uh, the main ones are are going to be there for uh, years to come. Yeah, totally, man. But the, especially the good ones, the really really good ones, we really hope aren't going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. This is great. Cool. Been fun though. I, uh, Andy, I, I've had a great, great time chatting with you today, man. Um, I, I've learned a lot. I hope all the people that are listening um, got a lot of good information and have kind of, you know, my hope is that it's just motivated those who maybe weren't interested in architecture to maybe take a little bit of a deeper dive. Um, and again, the fried egg is a great place to do that. So before you go, do you mind sharing one last time kind of where people can find your content, the website, you know, social media, all those kinds of things like that so they can, you know, reach out and, and read your stuff? Yeah, for sure. If you guys just uh, Google the fried egg or fried egg golf, I'll, I'll pull right up. Um, and I've got social media accounts, so I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Instagram, I'm fried egg golf and uh, Twitter, I'm the fried egg. And uh, subscribe to the newsletter. It's the easiest way to kind of keep up to date. I put all my uh, posts in there. And uh, sent every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Otherwise, you know, the the website, you know, check it. I usually have about three or four posts, new posts a week. So, um, you know, and give me feedback. Tell me what you'd like to see more of, less of, and uh, 
and uh, we'll uh, we'll take care of it. But over the next couple of you know year year and a half, planning to dive further in and also uh, get some more introductory materials. Up awesome, there. man. Awesome. Well, I can't wait, man. I, I really enjoy reading your stuff. You do a great job, and uh, I wish you a lot of continued success and uh, opportunity to play a lot more golf courses because myself and I'm sure most of your readers love learning and somewhat living vicariously through you and all of your golfing experiences. So I, I hope you just get to keep doing what you're doing because you're doing a great job, man. Thanks, man. And uh, look forward to meeting uh, when we're when we're our uh, pass cross and uh, hopefully, hopefully teeing it up. I, th- I think that would be phenomenal, whether it's in Chicago or it's out uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, wh- whichever's clever, I-, I think it would be awesome. But I-, I think we'll have a great, great time. For sure. Thanks a lot, Kyle. I awesome. appreciate uh, hey, having me on. Andy, I really appreciate all your time, man. Again, that's uh, Andy Johnson of The Fried Egg. And uh, go read his stuff. It's an awesome website. He does the digging for you, so, so it says in the tagline. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Andy, hey, thank you again, man. I really appreciate you taking all the time. Today. This was a-, a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again at some point soon. Yeah, for sure, man. Let me know and uh, keep in touch. All right, perfect. Andy, thanks so much, man. Thanks. All right, later, brother. All right, thanks again to Andy uh, from the Fried Egg. Uh, Once I know he gave you the uh, the information, but just in case you want to find Andy, you can find him on Twitter at the underscore fried underscore egg or on his website at friedegg.co. We will be back. Uh, next episode with Sean Ogle from Breaking 80, who's going to be back for his second guest appearance on the podcast. So I hope you guys will enjoy that. We're going to be going over uh, some more rankings talk. It's that kind of year where, you know, there's no majors, you know, anywhere within a couple months of now. So all we have to do is geek out about awesome golf courses to go play. So I hope that uh, sits well with you because it certainly sits all right with me. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, if you haven't already, remember to leave a review on iTunes for us. Um, five stars are great, but you know, if you got a bone to pick with us, you know, maybe reach out to me on social media at golf guide net on Twitter. And then, uh, you can also find golf guide on Facebook and then golf guide underscore on Instagram. Um, thanks again, everybody. We look forward to being back with you soon. And until then have just a absolutely superb, superb day. Thanks so much.